Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So as you guys know, uh, it's uh, fishing season, and I'm telling thousands of fishing stories. So one of the, the things that I realized, I shared with you, I believe, before, but one of the things that I realized was that uh, fishing works better if you have polarized sunglasses. And I didn't know what, what polarized sunglasses could do, but it's a big difference when you're looking at water and you're like, I, I totally um, understand what's going on. I see what's going on. I know where I'm fishing. But then when you put on these particular glasses and they come in different colors and essentially what they do is they take out different color and they highlight other color. And so when you're looking at a type of water, if you match the type of water with the lens that you have on, then you can actually see further down. So you can see 10 or 15 feet underneath the surface. And it's a wild phenomenon that happens because you wouldn't think you would be able to see that. And so you feel like a superhero, really, honestly. Uh, but, but you're able to see further just by adding on the lens. And as I think about the, the situations that we're in right now with all of the different crazy things that are happening all at once, whether it be um, fights for justice and civil rights, whether it be an election season, whether it be COVID and our health, and it just feels like. And the other day, I, I turn on the news and I see that there is a minority Muslim group that's being rounded up in China, put on trains and thrown into a concentration camp. And we're living through a modern day Holocaust right now and it's not right and when all this stuff is is hitting us hitting the waves of our life hitting the shores of our life when all that's happening it 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 pains us because in the flesh in the natural we're just like i don't have a place for this i i i I, there's nothing in me that tells me how to move forward in all this and so what we do is we react in the flesh or we just turn life off And so if we're honest enough, many of us will turn these situations off and we'll pretend that people aren't being slaughtered. We'll pretend that there's no justice issues. We'll pretend that none of this stuff doesn't happen. Or we'll react in the flesh quickly without thinking and we'll just say the first thing that pops in our mind without being considerate of our neighbors. And both of those actions are very much in the flesh and both of those don't involve us actually being Christians. There should be a difference between how the world responds to the world and how Christians respond to the world. We're citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we believe that we're spiritual beings that will be with our Father in heaven forever. And if we believe that, then this fleshly world should have a spiritual impact because Christians are in it. But many times, we as Christians, we simply respond in the flesh. We ignore or we'll fight or we'll sharp things online. And we've got to say, you know what? No, there's a different purpose for us as believers here. We are heaven sent here. We are citizens of another kingdom. And we're here to do something different, to be salt and to be light to this world. And so Ephesians 6 gets into this. And, and honestly, the way that I see um, Christians oftentimes is many of us, if we are a Christian at all, what we'll do is we kind of, respond to the world in some interesting ways. We, we will look at God's word and we will do our devotions. And then we say, well, that's done. And then we look into the world and we tell the world what we think about the world. And what happens is we say, this is my spiritual time when I'm in the word. 
book closed. Now I'm Tali and I'm going to just be like everybody else online. I'm going to be like everybody else at work. And what we, we said, well, I'm a spiritual person, but I have an opinion. And when we, when we separate the gospel, when we separate the scriptures from our reactions in the world, then all we are are maybe possibly nicer versions of people battling life out in the flesh. Because we've been informed a little bit. We've got some spiritual back, But then we just kind of go in the flesh. And that's not how we're supposed to view the world. Another way that Christians, that we get it wrong sometimes, is we look at what's going on in the world first. And we hear and we digest all of what the world has to say. Then we get around to opening up our Bible. And so we're looking at the Bible through the lens of the world. So the glasses that we're wearing towards Scripture is we put the world in those. And so we see the world and the world's ways and, and opinions of man and, and Facebook memes and, and we see all this stuff. And then we look at our Bibles on the other side. And that's not what God wants us to do either. So we're, we're not to ignore and just say, well, here's my spiritual side. Here's my world side. We're not to be a house divided. We're also not to, to take the, the ways of looking at the world first and then look at our scriptures. We're supposed to do the opposite. What we as Christ followers are supposed to do is the, the polarized glasses we're supposed to wear are the lenses of scripture. We're supposed to look at the world through the filter of scripture. And so what it means is, is that as I see you, I'm first seeing Christ. I'm first understanding what Christ wants out of my life and how I'm supposed to be. Then I see you. You see, but many of us, we do the opposite. We, 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 we do the flesh first, and then we say, okay, how do I interpret the Bible now? Or we say, well, I'm going to interpret the Bible, then I'm going to separately come over here and deal with you in the flesh. But we're supposed to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see the Word of God first. And then everything else on the other side will, and how I respond to it will be interpreted by how I filter it through the Scriptures first. And so Ephesians 6, it talks about some heavy, heavy issues. It talks about slavery and masters. And, and, and we can look and we can say, well, I'm going to look at the world first and then I'm going to look at the Bible. Or we can look at the Scripture. We can try to understand what's going on there. And that's a, honestly a different message for a different day. What I'll tell you, though, is that there's a reason that, that slave masters didn't want this book to be read by slaves. There is a theme of Scripture that is about freedom and liberty and not being bonded into chains. There's a freedom of this book that slave masters didn't want slaves to have. And so when you read something that says, hey, why is it addressing like, hey, slaves, here's how to behave? The, the reason is, is that, that it's in that moment not addressing the theme of freedom, but in that moment, what do you do if you are enslaved? And it's still talking about the character of the heart and the fact that God, if you look at that, it tells the master how to behave towards the, the slave as well. By the way, the word doulos there is not slave like you and I would think. It's bondservant. It means that I have um, less in life and you have a lot and I want to live on your land and I want to work your land and I'm going to voluntarily be connected to you the rest of my life. And so there's a lot to get into there. But today I want to talk about the verse, verse 10 forward because it really talks about the bigger picture of all of this. How do we deal with all these issues? 
all of these issues, how do we deal with it? Starting in verse 10, it it says this. I'm going to read 10 down to, to 20, and then we'll come back. Finally, verse 10, Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Everyone say, be strong. Say, in the Lord. That's different because a lot of people throughout history, a lot of um, American evangelicals even, have taken the first part, be strong. But we're missing out the second part. Our strength doesn't come from ourselves. Our strength doesn't come from dominating other people. Our strength doesn't come from trying to hurt or oppress or put down. Our strength comes from the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of what? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, what are we standing against? The schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures, having done all, having done all that you can, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, all means all and that's all all means. In all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Ephesians, starting in verse 10, remember this group is a people of Ephesus, and he had come to them and said, do you know the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no. So he gives three years of his life ministering and teaching and living with this group of people. The church is growing and blossoming. People are coming to faith. He leaves, and then he's writing back this letter to these people he loves. And as he's concluding this letter, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. All the stuff that you're up against, All the stuff that you see in the flesh, we're going to cave in the flesh. We're helpless. How do I how do I even make a difference in the flesh? We just kind of decide, am I going to see the the world first and then the word? Am I going to separate the word and the world? Or am I going to create a worldview by looking at the word and then looking at the world? And he says, you know what you should do? You should be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Christians are only strong when Christians are in Christ. Christians are only strong when Christians are in Christ. The truth is, church, the reality, if you call yourself a Christ follower, and I call myself a Christ follower, if we can do it without Christ, we shouldn't brag about it. 
If, if we can have a marriage without Jesus, that's not something for us to be proud of. We're not hitting on all cylinders. We're, we're not functioning the way that Christ has compelled us to. We're not honoring Him in that relationship. If I can parent my, my children, by the way, my son turns 15 this week. Happy birthday! But if I can parent my children and I can do so without Christ, I should never brag about that. As a man of God, I should never brag that I'm able to parent my kids completely in the flesh. That's terrible. Think about that. That's horrible. I have access to the God of the universe who could give me all wisdom and help me to be holy before my kids and help me to be right and love my wife right and love my kids right. And if I can do all this without consulting the God of the universe, that's actually a terrible indictment. And so you and I, we have to ask ourselves, like, where does my strength come from? As a Christian, my strength comes from Christ. So he says, listen, as you deal with all this stuff, as you go up against all this stuff, be strong in the Lord. That's where your strength comes from. Verse 11, but put on the whole armor of God. So he's like, here's how to be strong in the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you're jotting notes, I want you to write this down or, or pull it up on your phone. Our enemy is not our enemy, except when the enemy is our enemy. Our enemy is not our enemy. Whatever you think your enemy is, whoever you think your enemy is, Whatever political party, whatever conviction they have, whatever background they have, whatever thing that they're championing that you stand against, your enemy, my enemy, our enemy is not our enemy. Unless the enemy, Satan, he's named here in the scriptures, is our enemy. If, if I am standing against you as a person, and I make my standing against you in the flesh, mano y mano. And if that becomes my driving focus, I disagree with your thought life. I disagree with your behavior. I disagree with what you stand for. And if I make my foot, they are my enemy. And I lose sight of the fact that there is actually a spiritual battle at play. And there's a spiritual enemy at play. If I make my wife my enemy, if I make my neighbor my enemy, and I lose track of the fact that there's an actual spiritual enemy, my enemy's not my enemy. The only enemy I have is Satan. His desire is to steal, kill, rob, and destroy. And that means he wants to steal, kill, rob, and destroy my character my purity, my thought life, the enemy. There is a real enemy that you and I have every day. But if I, it's so easy for me to ignore that enemy and just have a fight with you and just say, look, it's me and you. And I'm going to feel if I'm going to win. I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat you. No, 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 my friend, that is not your enemy. All it's doing is you're supplanting the real enemy in the real spiritual battle for one that you think in the flesh you might be able to win. And we've got to get to the place to where we go, no, no, I don't have an enemy on this planet. 
The Republican Party is not my enemy. The Democrats are not my enemy. The, the LGBTQ, not my enemy. I don't have an enemy. I'm not of this world. I have a spiritual, I have a father. And I am a soul. And this flesh is going to die. And I'm in the middle of a spiritual battle. But if I try to battle a spiritual battle in the flesh, I've already lost. It doesn't matter what short-term victory I have. Those of you that, that, that can remember, that as you look through we took a Great Depression. We battled two world wars. Vietnam, Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan. There's always a battle in the flesh. The economy's up. The economy's down. Carter's in office. And we need a Republican. We go get Reagan. And we, and we just back and forth and back and forth. And we get caught up in thinking that we're going to find joy in the flesh. We're not. There's a real battle. And the enemy you think your enemy is not your enemy unless the enemy, capital E, is your enemy. The truth is we live in a proxy war. A proxy war is a war that big countries fight using smaller countries to fight it. A proxy war is what we do right now with Iran. A proxy war is when, when too big, or, or China, or, or Russia. A proxy war is where the big guys, they use the little countries to go fight and kill each other so they can have their hands off. And my friends, I hope you understand that, biblically speaking, you are in a spiritual proxy war. There is an eternal battle that's raging. We know how the ending is. We know who wins, but you're still in the middle. And you've got to decide, am I going to engage and am I going to battle in the flesh? And you've got to decide, am I spiritual or am I in the flesh? We live in a proxy war, and that's why we get sucked into faith battles. The scripture says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness. Until we realize that Satan is the one we're battling, we're going to fight a lot in the flesh. And we're going to be fairly useless to the kingdom. Because we in America are represented democracy, we're prone to a lot more battles than Christians in other places are. Strictly because there's uh, always a battle of power all the time. And so we're always being asked every single day to choose a side about everything. And this is why Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it, it's, it's horrible to our souls because every day we're being put on the spot. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? Will you say these phrases will you hold that flag will you do this will you tear that monument do you want to keep that monument? and we're always being asked to stand in a battle all the time and at some point as the christians in this salt and light world that we live in we've got to say you know what i'm not going to fight every single battle i'm invited to if it's in the flesh i don't have anything to offer what i have is spiritual counsel this world is dying and in the spiritual counsel i do want to stand on the side of justice I would love to figure out what that looks like. And I would love to figure out what, how we can do that. And so as a result, I want to be your friend. I want to get to know you. Because it's then and I can only understand that in these physical battles, if God has a side in it, legitimately, I just want to stand on God's team. But I'm not going to fight everything. And I'm not going to be forced to do it 
instantly. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. So how do I deal with this spiritual battle going on around me? Take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all you can to stand firm. We're not, fight to call, we're not called to fight in the flesh, but rather stand in the spirit. We're not called to fight in the flesh, but rather stand in the spirit. We have to wake up every day understanding this is a spiritual battle. And our stand is supposed to be for the gospel. Not a party, not a cause, not a policy. Our main stand has to be for Jesus and his kingdom. And so if we ask ourselves, okay, fine, I'm ready to stand. How do I stand? There are six tools that Ephesians 6 gives us, but we walk through. And it says, stand therefore, verse 14, stand therefore, how do I stand? I have the belt of truth. The belt of truth, the Christians must stand on the side of truth above everything. If you're a Christ follower, you should care about truth, capital T, truth. And here's how I tell my friends, that, that truth is true. It's capital T, meaning God created it. So if, if gravity is uh, the law of this earth, it's a truth that God instituted. I shouldn't be afraid of any truth that's there. And so that's why listening to people that disagree with me shouldn't, is, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be afraid to listen to other arguments. Why? Because I'm not interested in finding out if my side or your side is right. I'm interested in finding out, did God establish a capital T truth? And so I can hear everybody, and I can talk to everybody, and I can listen to everybody. Why? Because I'm not interested in, in battling you in the flesh, but I am trying to find out, is there a capital T truth? Is there something that God ordained over this earth that I need to be responsive to, that I need to be aware of? The belt of truth is that Christians should stand on the side of truth, but what, part of what this belt of truth is, many times what we think about when people go into battle is this heavy, heavy, heavy uh, metal militia kind of armor. But actually, in these days, as much of the Middle East today, men would wear um, longer uh, gowns kind of in their everyday life. And so if you look at to the Middle East now, there's still uh, culturally, there's still a lot of this. But what would happen is you've ever heard the expression, uh, gird your loins. And the idea would be that you roll up your long hemmed garment because you're going to do work maybe physical labor, maybe construction, you're going to do something and you want to be able to have freedom of movement. And so what you would do is you would take that belt and you would wrap up everything and tie it tight so that you had the flexibility and freedom. And so this illustration of to have the belt of truth was not just, you know, a lot of times when you're in church, when you're young, they draw this soldier guy and they're just like, here's the belt of truth. It means... But it was a little bit more than that. What it meant was you have to be intentional about the situation that you're in. Situational awareness. And so when it says Christians should have the belt of truth, it means that I'm using, I'm lifting up and I'm tying off and I'm being ready for the situation I'm in. It's a little more than, than just the idea of, well, you know, um, uh, God's truth, that's part of it. I think a lot of times we, we miss out on a bigger lesson here, which is you didn't gird up and use your belt in that day unless you were about to go do something. And so as a Christian, I've got to say, you know what? I'm going to be intentional today. I'm going to be intentional today in my living. I'm going to be intentional today in my walk. I'm going to be intentional with how I communicate. I'm going to gird myself with the belt of truth. And with truth, we live in a day now with, with so many uh, fakes and Facebook and all this stuff that many of the people that are just retweeting it, it let, me, let me back up. 
It does you no good if you post Scripture and point the world to look at Jesus on your Facebook wall. And then the very next post put up is another of your 30 conspiracies that you're floating. Because all you've done is told the world, take as seriously the Scriptures as what my friend retweeted. And so you and I, we've got to get to the place to just go, you know, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is, is I'm going to stand for truth. Stand for truth. And I, I, it, it should be okay for me to go, you know, I hadn't thought about that. But when you, when you show me and, and I look at, at the history of it, or I look at what happened. Yeah, I, I can say that was wrong. Because why? As a Christian, I'm looking for capital T truth. So if people were mistreated, I should be able to say wholeheartedly, I agree with you. That was wrong. Or that is wrong. But I can't say, well, I stand for truth. But I'm going to turn a blind eye to all this other stuff. I'm going to ignore pain and plight. I'm going to ignore what you're saying, but I stand on truth. Because then people go, nah, I don't know if you do. I'm not sure if what's at the core of who you are, this pursuit of truth in life. Or are you just like reading this and then dealing in the flesh? Or are you reading this and it's through this lens that you see the world behind you? And so you and I, we've got to stand for truth. This is an act of living intentionally. And can I tell you something? Living for truth in today's world is defiance. The world today right now is all about re retweeting, rehitting, standing for a side. And it's like, you got to stop that. And you just got to say, you know what? I want to stand for truth. Wherever that leads, it's okay. I'm going to stand for truth. And I'm going to have intention in all that I do. I'm not going to be relaxed when it comes to these spiritual battles. The intention is truth. The uh, Pharisees came up to Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44. John 8, 44. He said, you are your, of your father the devil. Your will is to do the father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar, and he's the father of lies. Those are some harsh words from Jesus. But he's talking to people that were religious. He's talking to people that before his coming along, they ruled the roost when it came to all religious knowledge. And he's like, you know who you are? You don't really stand on the side of truth. You're using your religion in order to do a lot of damage to other people. And so he said, you're a part of the problem. You've got to stand for truth wherever it is. It does no good for us to be known as Christians, as anti-science, or to repost conspiracy theories every day. We have to take time to be intentional and to filter out uh, dishonesty or lies. There's a little acronym that you might have heard. It's uh, think before you speak or think before you post. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it true, helpful, inspiring? necessary or kind that would just be one way it's not that's the biblical that's not biblical at all 
It doesn't come from the Bible. Well, what comes from the Bible is the standing for truth. That's what I'm getting at. Is that at the end of the day, whatever way you need to do it, if it's an acronym that's cute, whatever, you need to stand for truth. You need to stand for truth. Somebody's going to edit that section right there, and they're going to be like, yeah, see Tolly Wilgus <laughs> in his own sermon. So that's not even in the Bible at all. <laughs> it's going to be on loop. Two kinds of truth. Godly knowledge. Do I know God's word? Godly character. Do I live God's word? Godly knowledge. Do I know God's word? Godly character. Do I live God's word? And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, Christian righteousness is only found when I'm hidden in Christ. So I'm not putting on my own righteousness. I'm putting on his imputed righteousness, Jesus' righteousness given to me. The message last week, if you saw it from Bailey, speaks clearly to that. Very good message. The imputed righteousness of Jesus comes upon us. So the righteousness we live in is not of our own. One of the things that I warn um, new believers, especially, they're digging into their word like crazy, and then everybody becomes a moving target of their wrath, is that calm down, killer. This is imputed righteousness, meaning that you are no more righteous today because you're learning some stuff than you were yesterday. It's imputed righteousness, which means that my righteousness doesn't come from myself. So therefore, when I speak, I need to be clear about God's standard and, and who God is. But I don't use God's righteousness as a weapon towards people. I use it as an opportunity to help people be rescued, to say, you know what? This is how we're rescued in his righteousness. So when we stand, we don't stand in our own arrogance. We stand in humility. And verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Write this down. Christians are to be aggressive advocates of peace. Aggressive advocates of peace. There are two kinds of peace you should concern yourself with. Peace between God and man, that's vertical, and man and man, horizontal. So as you and I live our lives and we're, we're girded up in truth and we got the breastplate of righteousness, our shoes should be running towards peace. Scripture says he, if he, verse 1 John 2, 6, he who abides in him, Jesus, ought to himself also walk as Jesus walked. How often did Jesus run to every fight? How often did Jesus get angry and run, to, run at people and say, hey, let's go? We as Christians, we should be running towards peace. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We should be following in the footsteps of Jesus. But we should be aggressively looking for peace. In the realm of today, there's two words that I've come across that I believe we as the church, we as Christians, can stand behind. And we can do so without taking any sides. We can just say, yes, that makes sense to be aggressively for peace. One of those words is uh, anti-racist, to be actively standing against racism. So if I see it, I want to call it. I'm going to say, hey, I, no, I'm not just going to let it keep happening. If I'm here, I want to be good for everybody. I want peace between all kinds of people. The other one is uh, gracist, which I thought was a very good word to approach all this. Gracist. Giving grace to, to people that you don't know or understand. Giving out grace. Christians should be very good at that. The word for peace is shalom, S-H-A-L-O-M. It means complete balance, complete harmony. Perfect balance. That's what we should be aggressive about. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. 
We need a faith church that can withstand the fire. We need to be building up our faith every day so when the hard times come, we can still stand. I pray that, that there's going to be a day, there is going to be a day, most likely, where you and I, we're going to experience tragedy. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience something that feels like hell on earth. And in that moment is not the time that you're going to suddenly grow up in your faith. It's going to be the moments today and tomorrow and Wednesday and your ordinary Thursdays where the work that you put in towards your faith is going to either be there for you in that moment or it's going to show wanting. And it's so important that every single day we wake up and we say, Lord, I want to get dressed. I want to get dressed in you. I want to have a faith that withstands the fire. Can we go through hard times and walk out on the other side with a strong faith? When Satan attacks with doubts, the shield of faith turns away the blow. When temptations come against you, faith keeps you steadfast in following Jesus. We're able to withstand all the devil's fiery darts because we know in whom we believed. And that's where we get to verse 17. And we take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, the idea is knowledge, wisdom. But the helmet of salvation is that you know that you know that you know. We must know that we're saved by God's grace through faith. You've got to know that. You cannot be relying on someone else's faith. You cannot be believing your good works are going to get you there. You've got to know that you know that you know. And I've got news for you. I don't care how long you've been in the church. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. There are times when the world just gets so crazy that you've got to pull away and say, Lord, remind me again. Remind me again. Help me not to approach this world in my flesh. I don't want to be a nice fleshly person. I want to be a spiritual person because I know that I know that I know that I'm saved. 1 John 1.9 says, if you confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from unrighte all unrighteousness. 1 John 5.11 says, for God, God has given us eternal life and this in this life is his son. He who has the son has life. If you're jotting notes, write this down. We must walk with a past tense salvation. A past tense salvation. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. I love that. It's past tense. I know who I am. I know whose I am. And finally, it says in the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the only offensive tool that we have to stand against the enemy schemes, the only tool that we have that's offensive is the word of God. So what does that mean? It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. My opinion is not important and your opinion is not important. The only offensive weapon that we have in this fight, everything else is defensive. How do I stand in this world? The very last thing mentioned is an offensive weapon. Everything else is defensive. Everything else is, you know, have the breastplate of righteousness. Guard yourself. Be intentional. Stand for truth. Run to peace. The only one time that there's a weapon involved. What is that weapon? God's word. That's the only time. The only steps we should be making into the conflict. The only aggressive posture we should ever have. Is when we're standing on 
God's word. That's it. If we're in the flesh in our battles, then we're out of the spirit. And this is a spiritual battle. Last but not least, the last three verses there. How do we get dressed? We pray with perseverance. Pray with perseverance. Praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. To that end, keep all alert with perseverance. Making supplication for the saints. How do you get dressed? Tony Evans says, to dress for spiritual success, pray. To dress for spiritual success, we must pray. I love this passage because it tells us, you know what? There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of ugly in the world. There's a lot of battle in the world. But you have to understand the enemy you think your enemy is not your enemy unless it's the enemy. You have to understand we're not battling flesh things. We're battling spiritual ones. You have to understand I've got to stand for truth in all things. I have to understand that my righteousness and my strength, they both come from God anyway. And the only time that I should take an aggressive posture, a step forward, the only time that I should ever use a weapon, it should be the Word of God. And at all times, in the midst of all of this spiritual battle going on around me, I've got to run to peace. I've got to run to peace and say, Lord, you know what? I'm in the middle of a spiritual battle, and I need you. I need your strength. I need your righteousness. I need to be a person of peace. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that is inviting us to a battle every single day. We wake up, we turn on social media, and we're finding out which battle is going on all around us. And Father, as Christ followers, we're doing a disservice to the kingdom if we simply battle in the flesh. God, you've called us to a greater battle, that of the Spirit, the battle for souls, men and women, boys and girls that need to know that they're created by a loving God who's done everything to rescue them from their own sin. And I pray, Father, that we would, as Christians, be responsible and upright. We would, as Christians, we would love our neighbor as ourselves. that we would lift others up above ourselves, that we, as Christians, would not feel like we've got to comment and fight on everything. But God, that we as Christians would be salt and light in this world. And that we would stand where you stand. That we would speak where you speak. And that we would understand our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. So Father, I pray over us as a church that you would allow us to stand in your strength. That you would allow us to run towards peace that you would allow our righteousness to be reminded of us that it is not our own righteousness. And at the end of the day for all of us, that if we would ever wage into any war, if we would ever step forward, let it be because we're standing on the word of God. Our only offensive posture should be to speak your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would grow each one of us up because we want to have the shield of faith. And no matter what we go through in this life, we're going to experience death. We're going to experience loss. We're going to experience sadness and pain. But no matter what we go through in this life, let us have that shield of faith. And God, we know that we get there by our relationship with you, by understanding your word, by standing on the word of God. And so I pray, God, that in the seasons when we have time, God, we would not waste our days, but we would number them and we would work towards understanding and knowing you. We would let the Holy Spirit of God lead us 
And when we speak, we would speak only what you've spoken to. Allow us to be your people, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Help us to be salt and light in the world that we live in. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.